Welcome to Bodcast, the business of dentistry podcast, brought to you by Practice Plan. Bodcast delivers the best business advice, real life stories, and practical hints and tips to make your practice a more profitable and sustainable business. And now, here's your host. Welcome to this podcast. Um, my name's Ian Eslick. Dean, yeah, um, just take a couple of minutes and just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about, about yourself. Hi, Ian. Well, my name's Dean Mooney. I'm a dentist at the far end of the country in Penzance. I was here with the last practice in mainland Britain, but we might be the first, who knows? Um, I've been down here about, well, not about, I've been down here 20 years. We run a private practice. We converted it in 2004. Uh, since we moved down in 2000, it's just grown and grown and grown. Um, Ian will have seen what's happened. I stopped my clinical dentistry six months ago now for reasons I guess we'll get on to. Um, yeah, yeah, we will we'll get on to that, Dean. But we're, um, I think the first time I got introduced to you guys um, was from the old practice that where I was the business manager. I think you and Mike, uh, when you when you joined the practice, I think you got involved in the local LDC. Am I right? You you um, wanted to know what was happening on patch, so to speak, being being from the county. Was it the LDC that you, you joined originally? It, it was, Ian, yeah. We, because we, Mike, my partner and I, we'd moved down from Bristol. And I'll be honest, when I, even when it was first proposed to me about moving down, I didn't know where Cornwall was. Or <laughs> it was like, you know, my, my geography of Britain wasn't great. Um, so when we came down, it was a way to to maybe get our finger into some pies. So we joined the LDC, we joined the Cornwall dentists, um, and just started mixing in around and getting to know the lay of the land. And yeah. that's where we met you, Pete, etc. And then on to the Cornwall, what is now the Cornwall dentist. It was a independent practitioner group, um, and it just moved on from there, really. Yeah, I think. Um obviously being a cornerstone myself and from Cornwall and, and obviously travel throughout the throughout the country really. Obviously in a peninsula you're surrounded by water so you, you, the professions seem to stick together because there's no outside influences. You can't travel you can only travel east <laughs> or northeast. So it was always um the profession was looking after itself in 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 the extremes um of the country so it, it was always good to to have a, a good working group uh with the ldc and, and the Cornwall independent and then the Cornwall dental group so um when did your career in dentistry start dean and, and um, how did you get when did so I, I i went to the university of sheffield in 1987 at the ripe old age of 16 years old <laughs> how, how that came about i'm never quite sure um and now that my children are surpassing 16, I can't actually believe that I did go to, I left Ireland and went over to Sheffield for that. Why did I choose dentistry? Because it meant I could go to England, which seemed really exciting at the time. All my other university offers were in Ireland to do various other subjects. I thought, no, England would be exciting. And lo and behold, that's where it turned out. Um, so it was by chance. And I would say most of my career has worked out by chance or maybe you just have to be at the door when it opens um, could you but have, none of it has really been planned could you have studied in ireland is, is it because you wanted to come to england but could you have done I, dentistry I, in ireland 
I could have done it. Would have meant going to Dublin, which is only thirty miles from where I lived, and a lot of people who went to Dublin from Navin, where I grew up, basically almost commuted up and down. And that to me wasn't a university experience. Just you know, going up to Dublin and up and down each day, or even coming home every weekend. After a couple of months in Sheffield, I wished I could go home every weekend, but um, I that that was the main reason for the time in. It was going to Trinity or up to Queens in Belfast, and like I say, the 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 lure of the bright lights of of England is what what made my decision decision for me, which turned out really well. Well, that's interesting because I the perception I always had, Dean, uh, was really followed on to my next question. Um, obviously, you, you moved down from Bristol. Uh, I thought you studied at Bristol, but obviously. Um, I've learned it was Sheffield. So, um, and you moved down obviously to Penzance, and uh, the Bay practice was established. Um, but quite recently, you've obviously recently moved to a, a new premises, albeit just up the road. Um, how was that? How did that? How did that go? How did the move go? And why did you decide to relocate? The, the, when we first took over the practice, it was a single-handed practitioner, and Mike, my partner, who went to Sheffield with me and I worked with in Bristol, um, we expanded that, and there was the two of us, and before long, I think in 2006, we doubled the size of the practice to make it four surgeries, and even then, we were sort of bursting at the seams. The, the public space wasn't big enough, and we had been looking at various places around Penzance for a couple of years, and they were building a brand new medical center in Penzance, just out of town. So a doctor's premises, which had been built 14 years ago, 70 yards up the road from us, was coming up for sale. And one of the GPs said to me, do you fancy it? And I went in to look around and thought, oh, we could move in here tomorrow. It didn't quite work out like that. But um, no, it was, a, it was then a seven surgery GP practice. So we just went for it. Um, so that was just over two years ago we bought that. It took about six months work to convert it. The, um, Great. You know, just the, the practice you move on, to be fair, Dean, um, when you refurbished it, it was quite quite attractive and, and quite stunning, you know, as a as, as a practice it was. And um, you know, it, it, so it was just the confines of the building really. It was, it was that the, the rationale because you had a lovely working environment, you had a lovely reception areas, surgeries, was it just the, 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 the constraints of the four outside walls, basically? It, it, it was. We, we couldn't go sideways. We couldn't go upwards on it. And as you remember, there was, you know, as is typical of Cornish buildings, quite a narrow staircase in it, which was always a bit of a bottleneck. We had three surgeries upstairs, one downstairs. And it was nice. And it was a, and it was a case of stick or twist. You know, we could have carried on just where we were for years, but it was just that I don't know, a, a bit of a desire to always see if you could be a bit better, have a bit more space. And when this building came up, it, it was a bit of a gift horse. Um, and we thought, well, you know, chance like this might not come up again. And yeah. lo and behold, and of course now, we're sort of thinking, oh, maybe we should have had somewhere bigger. Now that we need all the extra surgery space for fallow time, et cetera, I was like, oh, maybe we could have done twice as many surgeries. But no, it's been fantastic. But hindsight is a fantastic dean, as you quite well know yourself. And the the building that you've obviously moved into gave you the facility, gave you the opportunities and facilities to have, um, you know, fallow time. And the building was, 
easier for you know, you know air extra exchanges and things like that where you exist in building one so who knew what what the circumstances would have would have changed so you know i've seen the difference in both but um but also the practice move for yourself coincided with a, a life-changing diagnosis uh, obviously has impacted your work then um so can you just tell us a bit more about that um, and when you was diagnosed and, and what has happened really so i would say 18 months ago maybe over the winter of 2019 i, I just get cold hands anyway and i i sail a lot it's no in or sailing's my big thing down here and i just noticed my hands would get very cold when i started sailing especially my left hand um and then oddly it was probably just before the first lockdown in february of last year maybe giving um palatal injections with my left hand I was thinking, no, I can't quite have the force to put onto the plunger. Just thought it was slightly odd, but I did phone the GP. It was a couple of days before lockdown. It was a, and he said, oh, it sounds like a chap nerve. See an osteopath. Fine. Went and did that after lockdown. She said, oh, you should probably get a scan. In order to get a scan, I had to see a neurologist. So on the 4th of August, um, I went to see a neurologist last year and he said, I can order you, um, an MRI scan, no problem, but I can tell you straight away, it's not a chopped nerve. And there was a bit, he says, I'd be pretty sure you've got motor neuron disease, which he's diagnosed by looking at me for 10 minutes because he'd noticed some of the muscle wasting in my left hand, which, you know, as a gradual thing, you sort of just get used to and go, oh yeah. And once he pointed out, it was obvious. And I it had never crossed my mind before. Um, so, what do you do straight away he said this to me he says but we'll order some more tests you go out to the car this was a morning appointment i had patients in the afternoon you go out to the car and you sit in the car and google it which is the worst thing anyone could never do um so i returned to the practice and had my afternoon clinic and it was a bit destroying and then uh i was at so i said i was august i continued working i stopped working at at the start of October. I probably could have continued a bit more, um, but it was getting difficult to grip anything with my left hand, mm. to retract cheeks or to fight against other people's uh, muscles, and even, to be honest, putting on gloves. And now my right hand is, is pretty much the same way. Mm. So, yeah, that's, that's what the shadow was that came across us. Yeah, indeed. You know, you, I know we we talked about it at the back end of last year. But you, that it sounds like the date is ingrained in your your mindset. How you know it was the fourth of August and it was the morning, and uh, honestly, you still had an afternoon surgery. You know, you still came in, and yeah. you must be, you know, um, well, all over the place. You know, because uh, did you tell anybody in the practice at that time, at that day, or or is it obviously you just ruminated it. I, it was an odd thing my intention wasn't to tell anyone because i thought well, i need to process this a bit better myself um and but as i walked in to the practice mike was walking out and he just said oh how did it go because we were half expecting that i might need surgery for a trapped nerve yeah. and i just said this i said it to him but by then i had to go and get changed and get get into the into the surgery um it was, and it was more when I got home that night and then had to, you know, obviously tell my wife. We didn't tell the kids for a month or so until yeah, yeah. 
we were more sorted out and then we had to inform the patients etc because in Penzance it's small it's well it's not a small town but it's a community town so yeah. it was a case of I couldn't tell my patients before my kids knew obviously because everything would go around um, yeah. but we just had to get set for what was going to happen yeah what was it um obviously you know you chose to obviously through um you said about the grip in your left hand and then your right hand was it uh was you then told to step away from the clinical setting or was it a decision you just knew you had to make yourself whatever it's you know right to do it was a decision i made yeah i made it they the consultant this is not a criticism of the neurologist in any way whatsoever. There, there, there isn't much support um, from the clinical viewpoint because there is no treatment, there is no cure. And it is a case of, there's your diagnosis, we'll call you in three months and see how you are. And they don't really get, because everyone's progression is different. So I think they found it difficult to say, oh, in two months you'll be at this stage or in four months you'll be at this stage. You know, they, they don't shy away from saying that the, it is life shortening, um, and it can be from three. It can be three months from diagnosis. The average lifespan is two years from diagnosis, but of course, for average, some have to be longer. Mm, yeah. um, so it, it was a case that I did. At first, of all, I was going, no, no, I can, I can continue. I can keep going. I can keep going. Then it was a case of, well, okay. I used to do all the endodontics in the practice. It was a case of. I might have to give that up, but I can do exams, I can do simple cons, and then I would, so, so it, basically my decision on everything was it was a bit like the Martin Keller test, you know, would I want to be treating my wife or my children in my state? And I could yeah. see it was coming to the stage that I wouldn't. So I just thought, no, step away before it gets to being something that I'm really struggling to try and cover up. Um, yeah. There was, by this stage, you could see various tremors in my, arms less so in my, in my hands but it was just a difficulty in holding things and i knew it was only it wasn't going to get better so somebody yeah. else had said to me who had some similar but not the same disease says don't push yourself too long because with the yeah. best will in the world no one's going to thank you for doing an extra month below par yeah and, and the thing is the journey from from you know from ireland to sheffield to to um Bristol and then then Cornwall, and you know, so it's 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 like a full circle. You could have gone back to Ireland, you know, because you know, the way the circle going, you know, you're going around, you could it brings you back to Ireland. And did it feel quite strange after all those years, you know, of practicing to, to suddenly stop thing? You know, it's, it's, it's a sudden stop. It's not like you you're selling the business and you're working for six months to two years to, you know, under the new owner. It's it's a it's. I think it was the end of September, on the right when yeah. we met in the summer. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. suddenly on a Friday yeah. and then on a Monday is different. How did that? It was it was awfully. I mean, as as you know, I'm I'm one of the ones. I I love my dentistry. I was I was never you know bitter or tired about it. I could quite happily if my and plan was great. I keep going on to 60s or in Penzance it wasn't unusual for some dentists to work into their 70s or their <laughs> 80s. Now I'm not quite sure I envisaged that. But yeah. it was always, you know, I I was never one who was thinking of early retirement. As we say, we just moved into a new premises, and I thought, right, we're going to be, it's going to take off a bit. Um, so it was it was really hard, and then it was finding a balance of whether to be going down to the practice. Yes, a bit acting as a mentor, but likewise not wanting to hang around like a bad smell, and yeah. you know, 
it wasn't necessarily all sunshine and, and delight all the time. So yeah. it was trying to find a balance of how much involvement to still to still have. Uh, also, because also you're still involved in the practice, and you know, as, you know, from being the business owner and being the, you know, the, the focal point, you know, you you, you know how you've really uh, gone, you know, rather than being on the shop floor, you know, the owner and the shop floor worker, you know, you know, you know, you know, running the practice from from a management point of view, um, which is like it's it's non non patient facing, I suppose, but. How is that? How have you found that? I mean, because obviously you had a practice manager who I know is on the, currently on maternity leave. But how, how is it? How has that been? And how have you found like the, the business side and the management side of it, and and still remain in the practice, still seeing the same guys and teams and things? Well, I guess that that did give me a bit more impetus to be down there because, as say, just a practice manager was going on maternity leave in January, and I just said, well, I'll I'll do your job while you're away. Um, because I can make the decision straight away, and so it was, you know, yes, we had to do. I had to be retrained on doing all the paperwork, um, but it did give me an excuse, uh, excuse to be down there and be involved in it. Now, I might do three or four hours each day. It was oddly that the lockdown last year probably gave us a bit more of a voice in speaking to patients on the phone. Yeah. You know, we got quite used to just having the conversation. So, of course, if a patient calls up now, it turns into a 15-minute chat, which all the other girls on the phones are rolling their eyes at me because it is, <laughs> oh, oh, how things go, and I'm asking them. And I do wander down and around the surgeries and see people and chat to them there. So it, it, it's nice. Um, it's not the same. No, and you, that. you know, it's always a case of when you see they're coming in for be it an examination or treatment, it was going, oh, I could do that, oh, but, but I could, I could fix it, I could do. Yeah. But you have to. I, I, I am, I am learning to let it go. I am learning to let it go now. When Jess returns from maternity leave in a few months, who knows? She might yeah. come in and go, what a mess you've made of this over the past few months, and then she spend time clearing it all up again. Yeah. Um, yeah. I can understand. Well, I mean, it's. Um, I always think it's a balance. You've got to balance that, you know, the business owner making the decisions, and then, you know, when somebody does return, it's it's obviously let them you know, give them give them a bit of uh, leeway to to be able to help the business, help yourselves, and, and move it along. But uh, so, so, Dean, what advice would you give to you know other other podcast listeners who um, who work in a clinical setting or has worked in a clinical setting, but has been on been impacted by you know a, a situation like yourself or a diagnosis or an illness um from somebody that's, who, who's, who's quite recently been diagnosed with a, you know an illness and had to stop practicing what advice would you give to some of our listeners i think you know it comes into being that selfish selfishness you know we we were always quite keen in the practice there was we were no good at looking after everyone else unless we were looking after ourselves a bit now whatever tag you might want to put on that these days but we we would you know do the paddy lun critical on essentials if we had to come in early or stay late to see one or come in at weekends we would do that we didn't mind we work we work within uh living distance or walking distance of our home sorry you've got to do what's best and maybe come to realize that you know the days aren't infinite and do what you can while you can probably that's yeah. my mantra nowadays is Yes, it's things are going to get worse, but while I can do something, I will do it. 
and the time will yeah. come when I won't be able to and I don't want to look back and wish I could have done. And in reality, who of any of us are ever going to say, I wish I'd done a few more days clinical dentistry? Yeah, yeah, exactly, Dean. And that says it all. And uh, I mean, from Monday, I think, uh, Monday the 12th, uh, is um, pubs and pub gardens are open. And I think there's a nice place down near to the practice in Vincennes. I think the last time we met, we had a Cornish green tea and it's one of my favourites. So I think we need to reconvene, Dean, uh, put our coats on if need be and have a catch up and, uh, you know, do we can. And, uh, Dean, it's been a blast and a pleasure in catching up with you today, uh, albeit virtually in the current climate. But um, like I say, I hope, hope to be able to see you soon. Uh, we can sit outside and then do some strategic blue sky planning in Vincennes. So look forward to catching up with you in person. Mate. That'd be great, Ian. Look forward to seeing okay. you.